welcome to Shutting Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 58. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, we're not going to spend much time with an intro today. We're just going to get ready for our guest. His name is Scott Peralt. Scott is a good friend of mine, has been for several years. Uh, he is a worship minister up in Louisville, Ohio. Uh, the reason I wanted to have Scott on this podcast is that Scott did not grow up hunting. In fact, he used to make fun of hunting. <laughs> and so uh, he talks about how he got into hunting through an invitation of another friend and how it was relatively easy for him at the start and how how he's just developed this passion for it. And not only that, he also talks about hunting on public land in a ghillie suit. Uh, that was one of the things I remember whenever Scott told me he was just starting to hunt that I thought was interesting was that tactic. And so he talks about how that's worked out for him, some of the fun that he's had, some misadventures. And so without any further ado, we're just going to jump right in here with Scott Peralt. Hey, Scott. How's it going, man? Man, it's going well. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, you too. Haven't talked to you in a while. What's, what's happening up there in Louisville? Oh, just keeping busy. You know, all the all the boys are grown, but that doesn't mean stuff is slowed down by any, any stress. <laughs> yeah, still running a lot of different directions, huh? Oh yeah. Good, good. How's how's your wife? She's good. She uh, she's working today. She works down at um, there's an artist uh, who's a member of the church here. His name is Billy Jacobs, um, and he paints a lot of primitive barn country scenes. And so she works in his shop every Wednesday. And so the elders at Louisville are gracious enough to let me work from the house um, only because we are currently doing kinship care for three little kids, age one, two, and three. Um, and, you know, rather than have them run around the church building, uh, I just kind of stay home and let them do their thing. They're napping right now. So um, okay. I've, I've got a little bit of free time. All right. Well, I appreciate you squeezing me in. Uh, t- real quick, tell us a little bit about um, yourself. I mean, I've known you for gosh, 10, 15 years, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, but for people that don't know who Scott Peralt is, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, family and, and all that. Sure. Uh, well, my name is Scott Peralt. I am the worship, uh, and associate minister here at the Louisville church of Christ in Louisville, Ohio. Uh, I've been here for, this is my 21st year, um, that we've started, uh, which wow. has been an, an incredible journey. Yeah. Um, how they've tolerated me for this long. I have no idea. Well, um, well, they they, they put up with Jeff Stevenson before you, so you know. That's... <laughs> yes, they, yes, they did. Yeah. Yes, they and for did. those listening, that is actually Jeff Stevenson is now the preaching minister at the church where I work, and so that's that's Scott and I's main connection, probably. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no worries. So we've been here for a little over twenty years. Um, we raised four boys: Colin, Hayden, Chase, and Kason. Uh, Colin is currently uh, a worship leader up at the North Canton Church of Christ. Uh, for their contemporary service, and he's also, he does a, uh, he works for a tree cutting company, um, loves that, he gets to go up in the bucket 80 feet in the air, so he thinks that's great. Um, Hayden is working for an audio installation company out of Cleveland, I'd tell you what the name of it is, but I have no idea, uh, and he also owns his own recording studio, he operates out of the, the outreach center at church. Um, Chase is an Ohio State trooper, he is stationed down at the East Jefferson Post outside of Columbus, um, he's getting married in May. And Kaysen is an Army infantryman out at uh, Fort Carson in Colorado Springs, and he's been in there about a year and a half now. So uh, he just got back a couple of months ago from um, a nine-month tour of Kuwait, uh, so it's kind of good to have him stateside. 
And now we are, since there are no, no, uh, no boys in the house anymore, we are now um, doing kinship care, which is a kind of fostering uh, for three little kids who, uh, who needed a place to go. So, uh, so we've got them under, under our care and we'll see where, where God leads that journey. That could be, uh, it could be some other news in the horizon here pretty soon, but as of right now, we're just doing kinship care for them. So yeah. So life has not slowed down by any stretch of the imagination. Man, it doesn't sound like it at all. And that that kinship care—that's really interesting. Um, I was talking to you a little bit about that yesterday because I had—I didn't know that you were doing that. So, what? Just before we—we're going to jump into hunting and all that. But I'm just curious, what prompted you and and Shelly to to jump into that? Well, um, you hear people jokingly talk about acts of God, um, and that's what this is. Only it's not a joke. Uh, back back in the fall, one of our um, good friends, her name is Emily. Uh, she actually lives across the street in one of the duplexes. She works at a daycare, and uh, she knew of a grandma who dropped off three of her grandbabies every day who was basically becoming more and more overwhelmed uh, as she is uh, in her 60s and currently had, at that point, five of her grandchildren living with her. Um, the two oldest were 10 and 11, and then these three youngest ones, one, two, and three. Um, so she asked Emily if she knew of anybody that would do respite care, just kind of give her a break, you know, uh, respite care, just being glorified babysitting, if you will. <laughs> so Emily said, yeah, I, I, have a, I have a couple who, uh, who fostered in the past, and I'm sure they, they'd love to do that for you. So, you know, she got a hold of us. We said, absolutely, we'd love to do, to do respite care. That'd be fun. Um, so the kids came over. We were introduced to them, got along real well. And about two weeks later, Shelly got a call from Grandma saying, hey, Instead of respite care, could you like let them live with you? <laughs> oh man! Uh, and, and the thing is, they're wards of the state, and so this had to go through. We're not foster parents. We used to be foster parents. So we're not licensed anymore. But this is kinship care, which is, uh, according to the state of Ohio, as long as you are comfortable with a friend or a family member, um, which technically we were neither, but even more technically, I guess we are friends now. Um, she felt comfortable with us and asked us to keep them on a full-time basis while um, the state kind of went through what it, what it has to do with their, their family situation. So we're just kind of waiting and seeing what's going to happen with this. No yeah. idea. That's incredible. That's really cool of you guys to do that. That I'm sure that's going to make a big impact in their lives. So, Well, they're sweet little kids, and it's a God thing. We were, we were both willing and unwilling participants, so it's more it's – more, <laughs> More obedience than anything else at this point. So yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, I wanted. Uh, it's interesting to hear that. I wanted to dive in a little bit to the hunting side of things because sure. uh, here in in recent years, I don't know how long it's been, but you haven't always been a hunter. At least I don't think so. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you got interested, how you got into hunting. I, I want to hear that story. Well. Um... You know, I, I grew up loving the outdoors, but I never was introduced to the whole hunting thing. I've always hated fishing. Uh, to this day, I still do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I kind of grew, grew up in Concord, New Hampshire, and it's not really a city, but it's not really the country. It's kind of in between. Um, so I loved hiking and camping and all that kind of stuff, but just never, never hunted. In fact, um, I had a little bit of a prejudice against the whole redneck image, um, which I can say that now because, well, 
if you could look around my man cave where I'm sitting, you'd, you'd, you'd know why. Um, <laughs> so I, I was, I would hear, uh, you know, conversations, Brian Grubbs came on, uh, as preaching minister of the Louisville church about 10 years ago or so. And he was into hunting. And one of our elders, um, is a big time time hunter. And, uh, they would have these incredibly boring conversations during the downtime of our, of our meetings. Um, they would talk about, you know, deer that got away or deer they couldn't find, or, you know, this size buck or whatever, kind of a snoozer. And, uh, at one point I just was making fun of them, you know, wearing camo, sitting out in the woods in, in the bitter cold, basically doing nothing. And I said, you know, see a deer, shoot a deer, how hard get it be? And, um, so Brian started laughing. He said, Hey, I got an extra crossbow. How about if I give you a crossbow and you come hunting with me just one time? Yeah, I said, all right, that'd be fine. And so keep in mind, the only, you know, I, I didn't own any camo. So I put on my best pair of black jeans. I had a tan work jacket um, <laughs> and a hat. And uh, I bought me a bag of combos and sunflower seeds. And we went to one of the church members' property, he owned some about 20, 29 acres or so. And he had some, some um, ladder stands set up. So they stuck me in the middle of them. And we proceeded to sit there for a few hours. Beautiful day. I mean, I love being in the woods, so that wasn't, it's not like it was torture, um, but kind of stupid just sitting there. And um, I remember looking over as toward dusk and looking over to my right, and there's some movements. So I look, you know, looking a little bit closer, and here comes a doe coming in from a cornfield into the woods where we were sitting. And keep in mind, I didn't know anything about you know, the hunting laws or whatever. I just had an apprentice license. Grubbs was my, uh, was my, uh, uh, what apprentice guy. I don't know what that's called. Mentor. Yeah. Or whatever. I, I, yeah mentor probably yeah, something. Um, so anyway, he's about a hundred yards off and I didn't know if I could shoot this thing or not. Um, I'm not a bad shot. I mean, I, I, I actually was pretty good with a bow and arrow in high school, just target practice and stuff. So I texted Grubbs and I said, Hey, and keep in mind, I've been chewing combos and spitting sunflower seeds for two hours. And then this thing came wandering in. So I text Grubb and said, hey, am I allowed to shoot a doe? And he said, uh, yeah. I said, okay. So I stood up, aimed the crossbow, and shot her dead. She dropped it about 20 yards. Um, <laughs> so I texted him and I said, see a deer, shoot a deer. How hard could it be? <laughs> <laughs> He's That's like, awesome. you've got to be kidding me. You know? And sure enough, you know, and it was a heart shot of all things. And, uh, and she was, she was probably between 20 and 30 yards away. Um, and so, you know, I gave him a hard time, time with that. And he said, well, why don't you come next week and we'll see how it goes. So we went the next week. And so I shot another one. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. So, so that, that was, same, that was awesome, same type of man, thing. Just know? came walking in easy for you. Yeah. Same kind of thing. You know, it's, this is, this is not a difficult occupation, you know, <laughs> uh, pastime, whatever. And, uh, so were you excited to shoot these deer? Did your heart rate get elevated? You know, was it kind of like, Hey, this is kind of cool. Or was it just kind of like, this is, this is way too easy. I don't know why these guys are getting excited about it. Yeah. The, the first couple of times, that's exactly how it was. And then that's the last time that's how it was. Um, from then on out, it was, it was that whole hyperventilate adrenaline. Holy crap. There's a deer standing there kind of thing. Um, I've, I've gotten better with that. Believe it or not, I, I don't get real hyped up. But for a couple of years there, man, I mean, you're talking trembling and, and you know, try, trying to control your breathing and keep, keep the bow steady because you can't see out of it because you're shaking so bad. Um, so, so, those two so, so what changed from, okay, so the second time you go out, you, you, you smoke another dough. 
And then did you all of a sudden like, Hey, I want to, I want to keep pursuing this. I want to do this on my own. Like, what was the transition for you to kind of, you know, just not do it to prove a point, but to get out there and go. I don't know, man. It's, it's some kind of fever you catch, I think. Um, because, uh, you know, it it wasn't long after that, that, you know, I owned, keep in mind, I didn't own any camouflage, nothing. And after that second deer, and by the way, it was, it was a button buck, not a doe. That second deer was a oh, button okay. buck, and I didn't yeah. know it. Um, who does? I mean, you think it's right. a doe and it's not. Um, so I proceeded to buy a ton of camouflage, and uh, I actually invested in my first ghillie suit, um, which if you know, somebody listening doesn't know what that is, I can't imagine that. But uh, basically, a ghillie suit is when you dress up like a bush and just be really still on the ground. Um and so I bought one of those and, uh, you know, that I think it was the next season I went and, and took the hunter safety course and got my actual license. Cause I, I think grubs got a little bit tired of hauling me around hunting all the time. So Especially you shooting all of his deer. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was, uh, that was pretty cool. So it was a cool experience hunting with those guys for at first, but there's something about being by yourself and on your own. And, um, you know, he, he showed me how to, how to field dress, um, those first two, and then, man, I was on my own the rest of the time. So, and this is going to sound sick, but field dressing is one of my favorite parts of hunting. I don't know why, um, yeah, but it is. It's a unique experience. I don't think a lot of people, most people probably don't get to experience that. And it's, I mean, I remember it as a kid, it definitely grossed me out, but as time's going on, yeah, I don't know if I say I enjoy it, but it is, I don't know. There's nothing else that you do that's like that. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And, and part of it, I, I don't, I don't take, you know, any deer that I shoot, I don't, I don't take it to get processed to do it all myself. And so there's just something satisfying about, uh, harvesting an animal and, um, and taking care of it, cleaning it up, um, making sure that none of the meat's going to spoil and, and just, uh, the whole challenge of, of doing that. It's just been a, a really cool experience. Mm. So question for you, why the ghillie suit? How did you decide on, okay, I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it with a ghillie suit. Were you reading up on things? Did you seen videos? Like what, what led to that decision? And then like kind of how you talk a little bit about like, you know, what that led to, you know, you going on public ground, right? Yeah. I, I would hunt primarily on public ground. Um, you know, my first, my first year or so, maybe two years, I hunted on a buddy's property, but um, I was there so much, I got started to get on his nerves. So he said, you know, Hey, go somewhere else. So I did. <laughs> um, and then another friend of mine gave me, um, his climber and I tried it a couple of times. The trouble with the climber is you got to carry it in. Then you got to climb a tree with it. And so by the time I get settled, I'm sweating profusely and, and freezing. And, um, just by the, the amount of noise that I would make. And so it just, it was more trouble than it was worth. And so, uh, my kids and I actually love paintballing and I, I can remember one particular time just getting lit up by the four boys, you know, thinking, man, this gotta be something I could wear to, to be invisible, you know, and got reading up on some, some different camouflage patterns and then found the ghillie suit over at, um, it was Gander mountain back when they were at, at yeah. camp. Yep. and, uh, thought, Hey, this thing's on sale. I think I'm going to give it a try. And I mean to tell you, those things are worth every cent. I mean, it was just, that has been the coolest hunting ever. And the, the, the first suit that I, that I owned was one of the green, you know, early season suits. And then uh, I bought a white one for the snow. And then Kaysen, my youngest, got me a tan one for late season 
last year and I wore it most of the year this year. And it was just, it was, a, it was a good time. Good time. Oh, that's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you get this ghillie suit, you get in on public ground. Uh, were you able to get any, those first, I guess I want to ask you this first, um, were you able to get any deer like those first couple of years that you struck out on your own or was it, um, not until you got on public ground? Uh, yeah, I, I've been, I've been blessed to harvest the deer just about every year. I've been hunting about eight years now, um, seven, eight years, something like that. Um, and then believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy. Opening day of this, that first season, I, I was out on my own. I had a ghillie suit and I went out into the woods. Probably, I probably got out there about five o'clock in the morning, a good, it was a good two hours before sunrise, um, just because I knew I was going to blow some stuff up when I walk, when I was walking out there. And I thought maybe you get out there early enough, get settled, and then the forest kind of settles back down. Um, so it was that opening day, and I had done some scouting over the summer, uh, just following game trails and just, you know, areas I thought that they would be. And that opening day, man, I'm sitting there, and it's a little unnerving. I mean, it's pitch black. You can see nothing. Um, and so I had to have the way marked in pretty good to where I was going to sit. Um, and it's, keep in mind, it's, it's, it's a public park and there are horse trails everywhere and it's used heavily. So I kind of find a spot to where, you know, it's not going to be real interrupted real bad. And so I found one and was sitting there and it was right at, right at first shooting light. I looked to my left and there's two deer, probably I would say between 15 and 20 yards away. And they had no idea I was there. And I ended up um, shooting the one that was closest. Come to find out, it was a, um, a six-point buck. Um, it was a younger one, but he looked like a big doe, so I, I put him down. It wasn't, wasn't real light at the time, but um, it was such a cool experience, man, just being able to, to be that close. And that's not even the closest I've been, but just that very first experience with the suit just sold me. I mean, I was... I, I'll still get up in a tree once in a while, but man, it's, it's 90% on the ground. That's how cool it is. Yeah. What, what is it about being on the ground that you like, Scott? It's a challenge. I mean, you're playing cat and mouse with an animal that doesn't want to get shot and who sees everything and smells everything. Um, and it is a rush to be able to beat them, you know, and I probably lose that battle nine out of 10 times now. Um, but that 10th time makes, makes it worth it. Um, there was, I remember the, the first time I hunted with my white one and it was in the middle of, of a, uh, of a pretty good, uh, snowstorm. It wasn't real windy. It was just snowing real hard. And I got out and got out there and there was a, uh, oh, he was, he was just a spike, probably a year old spike came in behind me and I didn't hear him. I'm sitting where I was hiding uh, and I, where I was hiding was, was kind of behind a fallen tree and he came in from behind that tree. Um, and I, I managed to see him right when he was standing next to me to my right. So I mean, if you, if you can imagine this, you're sitting there and you're looking for something to come in, in front of you and you feel something moving next to you and you look over and no joke, three feet away is this oh. little spike. He had no me? idea. I was, I could, I could have flicked him. That's how close he was. <laughs> he had no idea I was there. Um, and so I, I was able to watch him for a good half an hour. He just milled around in front of me. Um, I, I, I named him Lloyd. I was going to try to try to you know keep tabs on him for the upcoming seasons. And I named him Lloyd. If you've ever seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, one of the dumb <laughs> guys on there, his name is Lloyd. Uh, this this little guy had no clue that I could have eaten him for dinner. No idea. 
you oh, know? Man. And so, man, that was such a rush. Um, and so, and, and a lot of times though, when you, when you're, when you're on the ground, you're that close proximity, um, you have to be able to move so slow that they, they don't know you're moving. And after a while, that bow gets heavy really fast. Um, and so it's just a challenge, you know, I mean, you put one down and it's just, uh, I don't know. There's nothing like it. Mm, that is cool. Now, have how about your boys? Have you? I, I'm not. I don't know the answer to this. Did, did have your boys been able to get into hunting too? Is it something that they've picked up, or has it just kind of been your thing? Uh, my oldest, Colin, hunted with me for a little while, and he go out in in, in a in a suit as well. Um, but he never managed to to pick anything off, um, and just kind of it kind of fell out of out of favor with him. And then the only other one I could ever get out in the woods with me with was Kason, my youngest. Um, and he, he bought his own green ghillie suit and, uh, he'd go with me mostly early season. And the year before he left for the army, he was able to shoot his first doe from 20 yards on the ground. Um, and he'll tell you too, it's a rush, man. It's just, it's such, it's a cool experience. I, you know, I can't imagine I I've not hunted a whole lot from the ground just except for like gun season or whatever, but you know, I've gotten so used to being up in the tree and I mean, and that's a rush. So I can't imagine it's something I probably will try at some point, uh, <laughs> but being eye to eye, I mean, that has to be a lot of fun. So oh, now, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned, so your first deer out on your own is a six point, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, getting into hunting. Have you felt pressure from people to like shoot bigger deer or is it kind of been, you just kind of do your own thing. You don't worry about what other people, you know, think about that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's kind of, it's always been kind of a if it's brown, it's down kind of philosophy. Yeah. Um, with the exception of if I know this is a baby, um, you know, by baby one or two years old, I'm probably not not gonna not gonna shoot it. Um, particularly young bucks, you know, want to let them grow up. But I've got a friend of mine who this year um, let me hunt on some of some private property that he was actually leasing from a farmer, uh, a big three hundred acre farm. And he said, Hey, you want, you know, I want to put you on this lease. Um, just cause for, he's one of the very, you know, few people in my life who actually like, like me, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so he let me hunt, hunt on that farm. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. Uh, bigger deer. Oh yeah. But yeah. Thank you for that. He, he is a trophy hunter I mean, he takes trips to Wyoming and Iowa and all these places. And he's going on a bear hunt this spring. Um, but he is, uh, he, I bet you he had a dozen different properties that he has leased or just has permission to hunt on that nobody else does. And he's got trail cams and, um, and he puts some corn out and he's, he knows which deer on every single farm he wants to put down if he sees it. Uh, and they're booners, man. And these things, these things, you know, are, are measuring the upper ones, 200 inches. I mean, these are big deer that he's going after. He won't shoot. He won't shoot a doe until after he's tagged down on his on his buck, um, mm. and so this year I don't I don't think he shot a doe because the the buck he was after just uh, it didn't materialize for him. Um, yeah. But yeah, but so he 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 didn't mind me hunting anywhere that he hunted because he he knew that I probably wasn't going to wait for the monster he's waiting for because basically if a doe's going to walk in front of me I'm probably just going to shoot her and be done with it. Um, you know, so no, I'm not I'm not much of a trophy hunter. I can see why these guys do it. You know, I mean, it'd be really cool, but, um, you know, I, because I don't own land, uh, I don't have the luxury of just investing in a bunch of cameras and, and doing the whole scouting and tracking thing like I would need to. So, um, I'm just kind of content with eating whatever, whatever the Lord puts in front of me. 
Yeah. And I, and I think that's, I mean, that's awesome. We've talked a lot about that on the podcast. You have different people from different camps. And to me, if we can just, it's whatever you want to do. And I think that's what's cool about what you're talking about. You hunt in your style and the way that you want to hunt, and it makes you happy. And that's that's what oh, it's yeah. all about. Yeah, definitely. Talk a little bit. I mean, if I don't bring this up, there's going to be some guys that want to know. What are you looking for when you're, I mean, we don't do heavy tactics on this show, but I thought, I, I'm just curious, what are you looking for whenever you're going on these public lands and you're trying to find a place, a lot of times people are trying to find trees to get up in, you're trying to find a place where you can sit down and be concealed. So explain a little bit about your, um, you know, your practices for finding that place that is going to work out for you. Well, it's, it's kind of the same you know, hunting public and private, you know, um, you're kind of looking for the same kind of terrain. You obviously have to be able to see around you. So I, I can't be in a position where um, I'm, I'm concealed to the point where I can't see anything. Um, and so I have to find something basically that's I'm going to be able to blend in uh, in front of. And so I'm looking for a down tree or um, with, with I, I have, I, like I said, I have a, I have a, a tannish brown suit. And so I'm looking for dead grass, tall grass that I can sit amongst um, you know, if, if I can get behind a fallen tree and see over top of it, great. But normally I'm sitting in front of something, which makes it that much more important to be still. Um, and that's for me, that's a, that's a pretty big challenge. I get fidgety every once in a while. Um, and so I've probably missed more deer than I know just from being wiggly. Um, but you're looking for a place to sit where, you know, the wind, the wind is going to be right. Um, I don't normally go hunting if the air, if the, the barometric pressure is below 30, um, I generally don't see a whole lot of movement, so I'll wait, you know, for, for a good day, but then I'm just, I'm looking for, uh, on public land. Um, you know, here's, here's another thing with public ground. I found that I have to do most of my scouting for places to sit be- well before the se- the season ever starts. Um, because there's, you know, the, the main trails, the deer get accustomed to people being on those trails and they're, they're not really all, all, all that afraid they're wary, but they're not as afraid. Um, but I'm not going to sit on a trail and shoot a deer when there's people riding horses around me. So I'm probably going to be off in a bit, little bit more, you know, desolate location. Um, and so I got to find that trail. I got to figure out how to get in, uh, without blowing anything out, how to, without making a lot of noise, um, making sure that the wind is going to be sitting or blowing in the direction I need it to. Um, want to make sure I can, I've got a pretty good view at least 180 degrees around me. You obviously can't always see what's behind you. Um, so basically, if the if the wind is blowing in my face and something comes comes in behind me, probably not going to get a deer that that time. Um, but just making sure that I'm blending in with what I'm near, um, that I'm that I'm still, that I don't stink, that the wind is right, um, and like you know, it's it's a little bit more exciting for me on private ground just because I can go wherever I want and it's really not a bad spot. Public hunting, it's a little, it's a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit more of a pain because you're not the only hunter out there, and you have to make sure that you're you're, you're off the beaten trail enough to where, you know, there's going to be deer traveling. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's a little yeah. bit different game on oh, public. Oh yeah, hunting. absolutely. Um, whenever you say off the beaten trail, like how many, like how far back are you going from like the trailheads or wherever you're at? Are you at back in miles or just you know? No, no, no. Um, there's, I primarily uh, hunt at Walborn Reservoir in Marlboro Township up here, uh, um, above Hartville, Ohio, and there's horse trails all through it. And so 
when I'm when, when I'm saying I'm away from the trails, I'm probably m- at minimum. Um, this doesn't sound like like it's far, but it's there's some pretty dense brush up in there. But at minimum, probably 150 200 yards away from a trail, and I've probably got my back to it if I've played my cards right. I don't want to be facing the trail, um, so I try to find a place that's going to have my back to it. So I'm actually hunting in the woods, and I'm not going to you know try to have horse for dinner. Um, <laughs> Well, th- this was funny, though. I, I had one experience uh, a few years ago where um, I was hunting at Walborn and I was actually had just finished. Um, I would found a spot where I was going to sit and I was in there with a hatchet and it was real buggy. And so I had some camo on. I had a bug net on my head. I'm carrying a hatchet, um, got a backpack and um, I had just finished, you know, cutting some shooting lanes from where I was going to sit. And I was walking back down one of the horse trails to, to get out and this elderly lady was riding her horse coming at me and here i am you can't see my face it's a black bug net and I'm, i've got a hatchet in my right hand and i'm dressed completely in camouflage just because i think that's fun and this lady <laughs> this lady stops her horse short man and she did not know what to do next and so i just kind of I laid the hatchet down and I was like, I mean, you no harm, lady. I'm just down here scouting for deer, you know. And she's like, oh, I didn't know what to expect. There's this guy with an axe, you know, and she's flipping out. And this is not on. Don't, didn't mean to scare you, you know. Um, so that was that was funny. Just that's you never awesome. know what you're going to Yeah. Of course, you know, oh, the, the next time I preached, of course, that story has to be told. Only I employed fog machines and lighting to make it even more spectacular. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I think I saw that. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, it's, there's another story that's, I, I remember talking to you, something about, uh, people running dogs. Um, oh. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, so this is one of the instances where I was closer to a trail than I needed to be. Um, back was still to it, but so I'm sitting there and I had been out there for every bit of two hours and, uh, sitting still sitting on the ground. And I look, I look to my left and there's a little bit of movement. Of course, you know, any deer hunter that sees movement assumes it's a deer until it's not. Um, thankfully, with a bow, you don't just shoot like you would maybe with a gun. I don't have a whole lot of gun experience. I don't do a lot of gun hunting. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there waiting, and then there's movement, then there's more movement, then there's more movement. There are three beagles running straight at me. And I thought, you got to be kidding. And sure enough, behind them, there's two or three guys with orange vests on with shotguns. See, in, in public in uh, public hunting grounds, at least here in Ohio, you can't shoot deer on a, in a public park, but you can shoot squirrels and rabbits. Um, so these guys have their beagles trying to trying to kick up, I'm assuming, rabbits, and they are just talking out loud, and the dogs are, are baying and whatever, and they're coming right at me thinking, these dogs are going to run right into me. And you would think these beagles or hounds or whatever the heck they were would smell me. I'm telling you that those dogs ran by within five feet of me, never gave me a sniff. But, okay, two things. Number one, boy, was I mad. I was hot. It was all I could not to stand up and just shoot an arrow at the feet of these guys. Be like, what are you doing? You know, but um, then the other thing was the day was over. These guys were tromping around the woods and that hunt was over. Um, so I was mad when they were there. I was mad when I was hiking out and I was mad driving home and I was mad the rest of the evening, uh, <laughs> you know, but did the yeah, guy, did the guys ever see you? No, I never stood up. I just let them all pass. Oh, wow. You know? But, this, but I, boy, I wanted to just crank them, but 
I've got a crossbow and they have three shotguns, so I'm just going to let them be. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to win that one. <laughs> no, Unless you're Rambo or no. something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, one more thing I, I thought about is that, uh, I've seen some pictures of you and your wife hunting. Um, now yeah. is that, when did that start? Has she had, has she, has she hunted herself? Has she had any luck? Tell us a little bit about you and your she, wife's hunting. She has, she has her own ghillie suit. Um, she's adorable. I might add if she ever listens to this podcast, you know, um, but she has her own ghillie suit. She has her own crossbow. She's got one of those pink and black, uh, Parker challenger crossbows. Um, and yeah, she, she's had a couple of opportunities. There was one, um, we were out at, at that park and we found a different spot where the both of us could hunt within proximity. She, she has an apprentice license as well. And she was sitting at the corner of a field and I was about a hundred yards off into the woods and it was, it was a little bit chilly that day. And we were there for, you know, it was actually, it was a morning hunt. And so around 10 o'clock that morning, I, I decided, you know, I texted her, Hey, I'm, I'm coming out. Let's, let's just go get something to eat. And coming out, I walk, I'm walking up to her and she is sobbing. I mean, sobbing. And I'm thinking, what did the bow kick back on her? Did she, did she hurt herself? Is she freezing? You know, and she wasn't, she wasn't crying from being scared or cold or nothing. She was furious. And I said, what's, what's wrong? And she said she had the biggest buck she'd ever seen standing 15 yards in front of her. He was on scope, would have been a perfect shot, and she left the safety on. Oh, no. And by, by the time she fumbled with the safety, somebody came walking up the trail behind her and scared the buck off. Oh, she was no. so mad. And she said she's had a couple of experiences like that. There was... um. Uh, there was another time she was she was hiding basically in the same spot, and these guys were hiking, and they uh, they had hiked off the trail and had come around to where she was sitting, and they were standing so close she could have kicked both of them. And they were just talking about sports or whatever, and they had no. And the thing is, she's she's holding a pink crossbow, and I had no idea how those guys didn't see her sitting there, other than she blended in with the bush perfectly. Um, but yeah, she, she, she was pretty hot with that one too. They're just mech, 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 you know, talking about whatever. And then they moved along and, you know, so she hasn't had, she hasn't, hadn't had the, the, the fortune, you know, that I have, but, uh, she still loves being out there. So I, I you know, she's, she's fun. Mm. Oh, that's cool, Scott. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that's got to be frustrating. I, I would love to say that I've never pulled that trick, but I've had that happen to me before. So it is frustrating. So <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, that's good. Well, I wanted to ask you this, kind of uh, wrapping up a little bit. Um, you know, you talk about being a minister, as I, I am as well. And, um, you know, and this is something that you haven't been hunting, you know, what's it been? You said like seven, eight years, something like that. Right. So I guess the question is, is there anything that the woods or the outdoors or hunting has kind of taught you in regards to faith? Is there any, like, lessons in there that you think, you know, maybe maybe God let you get into hunting to kind of learn a few of these things? Anything come to mind? Yeah, a couple things actually. Um, one, it, it's it's helped to teach me the dis- the discipline of sitting and being still. Mm. Um, which you know, if if you don't purposely do it, you well, I mean, this is going to sound stupid, but if you if you don't if you're not purposed with doing it, you'll never do it. Um, and so it, it has taught me how to sit still. It's taught me how to pay attention. And then the other thing that that probably is a little bit more significant, at least at least in my mind, is it has taught me a lot about the character of God. Hmm. You know, you, you think about it, you're, you're sitting there and, and 
when you consider what you're looking at, okay, in, in, in a very real sense, there's chaos all around you, okay? Uh, you've, got, you've got trees that are, that are, you know, growing and stretching in every direction. You've got some trees that, are, that are, are fully alive, some trees that are dying, some trees that are dead, trees that are on the ground, leaves everywhere. There's, there's thorn bushes, bushes, briars, you know, there's um, what, whatever other kind of, you know, foliage or, or whatever. There's animal life everywhere. And at first glance, it looks like complete and utter chaos, but the fact that God knows every single bird that's flying around those woods, that he designed every single tree that is growing and that has died, that he is on top of all of it. And you look at your life and you think that your life is this chaos, you know, filled, um, sometimes nightmare of a, of a place to live kind of thing. If, if God has the kind of chaos like the forest under his control, what can't he do with my life? And in, in, in the, the scriptures talk about how much more important we are than the birds of the field, of the air, and the, you know, the flowers of the field and so on. If we're that much more important, if God can control that chaos, what could he do with my life if I just be still long enough to let him? That's mm. probably been my, my, my most poignant lesson. Wow. And here you are taking that lesson and there's three kids that are in need of, uh, need of some guidance and need of some love and you and your wife are doing that. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's uh, that's its own kind of chaos right there. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> well, you mentioned that they're down for a nap and so I don't want you to have to run off uh, the podcast cause you hear one crying here in a little bit, but man, I really appreciate you coming on sharing uh, your hunting stories and experiences. That's, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm glad to do it. I, I love talking about this stuff. Well, I'm excited to hear about um, your upcoming seasons, and I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. But, Scott, thanks so much for your time, and have a great day, man. All right, man. Good talking to you, Travis. And there you have it with Scott Peralt. I uh, really appreciate him coming on and great stories. And I just, I mean, it almost makes me want to give up the saddle and, and get on the ground with a ghillie suit. Like, it sounds <laughs> really fun, but, man, the challenge that would be involved with that. But Scott has found a way to get it done, and uh, he didn't even get to the stories where he, apparently this past year, he killed three deer. So might have to have him back on to hear some more. Guys, really appreciate you listening. I hope that you enjoy those stories. I hope that uh, it's stuff that you uh, enjoy as much much as what I do. I, I always zone in on what my guests say about different things. And of course, today I, I had to zone in on what Scott said about faith and just organized chaos, how God takes the chaos of the woods and all of those things and makes it into this beautiful thing. And that he can do the same thing in your life if you'll let him. Um, so man, I, I hope that that's an encouragement to you. I'm not going to preach at you today. I'm just going to say, I hope that that hits. And that's all I'm going to say for today. Um, I am headed to Orlando this week. So we'll see. Hopefully I can get a guest lined up for the following week and get things rolling. If you'd love to come on the show, or even if you'd only halfway like to come on the show, that's fine. Uh, SheddingLightOD at gmail.com. Send me an email. I really appreciate it. Hope you guys have an awesome week and remember to shed the light.